Scroll, where we unpack scripture using the rich tradition of the church. I'm your host, John Brayer, and in this episode, we'll be digging into the covenants, particularly the first covenant. Like I mentioned in the intro, we'll be digging into the covenants and in particular the first covenant. But before we do that, a quick correction. In the episode regarding original sin in Genesis 3, I realized almost as soon as I posted the episode that I made a little mistake in terms of terminology. I referred to the main place of worship on the University of Notre Dame's campus as the cathedral. That is not the right term to use. A cathedral is essentially the home church of a bishop or an archbishop in a diocese, and that is not the role that uh, the, ch- the main place of worship at the University of Notre Dame serves throughout the, uh, the diocese in which it's located. The proper term for that church is basilica. And so essentially a basilica is a term for a church that's been designated by the Pope as a special place of worship, whether it's due to historical significance, whether it's a site of pilgrimage, a uh, site of spiritual uh, significance for some reason. Uh, so again, I apologize for that little mistake in terminology. It's the basilica, not... Uh, the cathedral at the University of Notre Dame. But anyway, on to this week's episode. As we progress through the story of salvation history, we're going to find that one of the primary roadmarks along this path is set by the covenants that God forms with his people. And so this week's episode is dedicated to the basic concept of a covenant as well as the first covenant that we find in Genesis. And so a covenant essentially is like, in some ways, a contract, but it's it goes far beyond what just a contract is. And so in a contract, what you find is an exchange of goods. You find an agreement where people agree to exchange goods. A covenant is more than that. A covenant establishes a sacred bond. And in particular, biblically, a covenant represents an agreement between God and Israel or his people in which God promises loyalty, protection, or something else to his people in return for exclusive loyalty from them. A contract is a temporary agreement. It can be broken if the sides agree to to, to break the contract. But that's not what a covenant is. A covenant is a permanent bond between God and his people. Now, what we're going to find is that frequently, and we know this from our own experience, the Israelites, people of God, are not able to uphold their side of the bond. But we see God continually returning, um, lifting up the Israelites, raising them, and pushing them forward in this plan of salvation. Because, again, God's salvific plan does not get derailed by uh, our best attempts at times to, uh, to throw that plan off. And so a covenant represents that type of relationship into which God enters with his people. And so what we're going to find as we trace these different covenants throughout uh, the story of salvation history is that for each covenant, there is a mediator, a relationship that's lifted up, and a sign that that covenant has been put into action. Now, the first covenant we find in the whole story of salvation history takes place right at the beginning. In Genesis 1, we read over and over again that God reflects on his creation and that he sees it is good. But at the beginning of chapter 2, we read that God sees that something is not good. And so I'd like to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. And so in this second chapter, we see God attempting to find a suitable partner someone who compliments the man he has created. And of course, where does this search or this uh, quest or this uh, path lead but to the creation of woman as the ideal partner for man? And so it's interesting and worthwhile to note that the first time God points out that something is not good, it's when he sees that man is alone. Men and women are not created to be alone. 
And we know this, we're social creatures. And so what we find is that this first covenant lifts up that relationship between men and women that we call marriage. And so the mediator for this first covenant is Adam as he mediates between um, what's going to become this family of God and God himself. The relationship that's lifted up is marriage. And the sign of this covenant taking place, taking effect, is the Sabbath. The fact that God rests after this creation. Now in the Catechism we read this, The vocation to marriage is written in the very nature of man and woman as they came from the hand of the Creator. Marriage is not a purely human institution, despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries in different cultures, social structures, and spiritual attitudes. These differences should not cause us to forget its common and permanent characteristics. Although the dignity of this institution is not transparent everywhere with the same clarity, some sense of the greatness of the matrimonial union exists in all cultures. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of the creation of man and woman, this structure, this uh, relationship between man and woman was written into our nature. We are made for each other. Now, I think it's worthwhile to note that the first covenant lifts up the relationship of marriage. And as we trace the covenants throughout the um, story of salvation history, from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to David, what we find is that the relationship continually builds. So with Noah, as we get to the covenant with Noah, we'll find that that covenant lifts up his family. Abraham lifts up the tribe. Moses lifts up the nation. David lifts up the kingdom. And so we find that it's an outward movement. That's what God's plan is intended to do. It's intended to invite all into relationship. But notice where it starts. It starts with marriage. And when marriage crumbles, it puts all this at risk. Now, we don't have to look very far to see that marriage is under attack in many ways. The Catechism writes, Every man experiences evil around him and within himself. This experience makes itself felt in the relationships between man and woman. And the Catechism goes on. According to the faith, the disorder we notice so painfully does not stem from the nature of man and woman, nor from the nature of their relations, but from sin. And that's why I thought it'd be appropriate to tackle sin last week before getting to this episode about covenants and the relationship uh, between men and women that we uphold as marriage. And the Catechism goes on. As a break with God, the first sin had for its first consequence the rupture of the original communion between man and woman. And again, we don't have to look very far in our society to see that it, that, that is still true today. But the beauty of the covenant, the beauty of God's love and his uh, unending mercy is that despite, as I referred to earlier, kind of our best attempts at times to throw off his plan for us, he doesn't abandon us. He continues developing these covenants. He continues pushing us towards salvation and pulling us towards salvation. As the Catechism says, to heal the wounds of sin, man and woman need the help of the grace that God and his infinite mercy never refuses them. Without his help, man and woman cannot achieve the union of their lives for which God created them in the beginning. Those words intentionally used, of course, in the beginning. In my first couple of years of marriage, I've learned about this collective surrender of both my wife and I to God's grace, that without that, we're nothing. And I think that's the call here in Genesis 1 and 2, that we're created for each other, but because of this sin that has entered the world, we need God's love and mercy in ways that we can't even imagine at times. And so as we trace this story of salvation history throughout Scripture, we need to continue following these covenants. 
We need to continue seeing how God pulls us. He draws us into deeper relationship and he uses our relationships that we have with each other to lead towards him. Thanks for joining me this week. Next week, we'll continue with this story as we get into the patriarchs, primarily Abraham.